Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Jehocraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 103.9 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Thursday evening where we are set to continue our exploration into this very dramatic book that we know as the book of Exodus. We are in chapter 14 of our study, and so what I want to do is just to, to jump right in and go ahead and start going through some of these verses. If you want to open up your Bible and go to the book of Exodus, chapter 14, and there we read, Verse 1, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and to encamp in front of Piharoth, between Migdol and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall encamp over against it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are entangled in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants were changed toward the people. And they said, What is this we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him, and took six hundred picked chariots in all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel as they went forth defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and camped at the sea by Pyroth in front of Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. And they were in great fear. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, It is because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Let us alone and let us serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians, whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be still. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go on dry ground through the sea. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God who went before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness and the night passed, without one coming near the other all night. 
Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and cloud looked down upon the host of the Egyptians and discomfited the host of the Egyptians, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its wonted flow when the morning appeared, and the Egyptians fled into it, and the Lord routed the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not so much as one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And Israel saw the great work which the Lord did against the Egyptians, and the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Wow, so there you have it. <laughs> A lot there, right? Uh, let us go back to verses 5, 6, and following. My dear friends, from what we are told in these verses, shortly after the Israelites had departed, Pharaoh and his officials had second thoughts about the wisdom <laughs> of releasing the valuable economic resource that was the Israelite slave labor, right? So what did the Pharaoh do? He, he mustered his entire division of chariots and went after them in hot pursuit, numbering, what, 600 chariots in all? Pharaoh's heart was once again hard-hearted. We hear that phrase again and again. And might we add, my friends, when the heart is heart, so is the head Hard-heartedness leads to hard-headedness. Both the mind and the heart were consumed with pride, fear, and many other trappings of the adversary. Now, certainly, it appears the Israelites were in some serious trouble, right? What do we read? To the east was the sea, to the south and west were the mountains, and the north was blocked by Pharaoh's armies. The Israelites clearly were shaken by the sight of the rapidly approaching chariots of Pharaoh and his men. In verse 10, we read that they were terrified. At first, the people cried out to the Lord. But as the troops drew near and as Israel's hopes of escape faded, their fear turned into what? But bitter regret. Regret focused towards Moses. Were there not enough graves in Egypt, they asked. Had they not told Moses to leave them alone and, and not to meddle with Pharaoh? What had Moses done to them now? They exclaimed they would have been better off if they stayed in Egypt as slaves. Hmm? Brothers and sisters, such is the reasoning of fear and unbelief. 
Oh, how quickly we forget what the good Lord has done for us. When we are consumed by anxiety and dread. I mean, think about it, my friends. We have just spent the last month talking about the ten plagues and the great Passover night, and here they are. Oh, how quickly they forget. (laughs) Grumbling against Moses. Why? Because of the fear, the anxiety, the dread. And is this not the pearl of wisdom that comes to us from the Sermon on the Mount? When Jesus says, do not be anxious again and again. Do not fear. Do not dread what awaits you tomorrow. For be assured in faith, I will provide for you today. Hmm? Now, at least initially, Moses was much more calm, right? Confident that God would deliver them from the Egyptians. Moses sought to reassure the Israelites of God's protection and of the defeat of the Egyptians, huh? They were told to fear not. They need not fight, but only to stand firm and observe God's victory over the Egyptians. Certainly Moses remembered what the good Lord had just done for them. He assured them they would never see, they would never see the Egyptians again. From what God had revealed to Moses, he was confident of the defeat and destruction of the Egyptian army now hotly pursuing them. Maybe, maybe based upon what we see with verse 15, what Moses was apparently not aware of was how and when this victory would occur, right? As the Egyptians drew closer, maybe Moses expected to see them wiped out before the eyes of all. Maybe, maybe something like what we saw in the plagues. Instead, They only got closer. Too close for comfort, right? At some point between verse 14 and 15, whatever that time span was, right, in history, something got to Moses. The man who had been cool and calm, maybe, at least it appears, had begun to lose his grip a little bit. More specifically, he had begun to lose his call to action because in verse 15, what do we read? Why are you crying out to me? God says to Moses, tell the Israelites to move on. That's an interesting verse for us to kind of ponder. My friends, prayer, as you know if you're a faithful listener, is absolutely foundational to everything we do, right? But we must do in light of how we pray, huh? Which is to say, there is something more to be done than to just pray in words We must not only crave God's help, but move forward in the course of action, whereby to make way for God's help. You see? Okay, God says to Moses, good, good. You've prayed. (laughs) Now move forward. Prayer is good, right? No doubt. It's absolutely foundational. We cannot know what to do unless we pray. But there's a reason why trust is that most concrete act and virtue of faith, because it is faith in action, right? It is the moving forward in the course that God has put before us. Let us put ourselves in Moses' shoes here. He knew that God had guided them to the place in which they found themselves, right? Between the Red Sea and the Egyptians. The pillar had led them there. And God had also explained to Moses that this was what he was going to do so that he could gain glory through Pharaoh and his army. We read that in the opening verses of chapter 14. 
Moses knew that God had also promised to bring the Israelites into the land of Canaan, right? Which was across and beyond the Red Sea. Moses also knew that God had given him power through the use of his staff. So now, now was the time to act. Okay, so in the light of Moses's, oh, we could say faithfulness and maybe even a little uh, lack of faith, God graciously responds to his cry for help. He specifically instructed Moses to raise his staff and stretch out his hand over the sea. Recall that great passage we've already talked about, you will be saved by my outstretched hand. So he instructs Moses to raise his staff and to stretch out his hand over the sea so as to divide the water, making it possible for the Israelites to pass through on dry land. The Egyptians, God informed Moses, would enter the sea behind them. Now God did more than just speak here, huh? The angel of the Lord manifested in the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire moved from in front of the Israelites to become their rear guard, right? He stood between the Israelites and the Egyptians. Throughout that night, the pillar brought darkness to the Egyptians and light for the Israelites, thus enabling the Israelites to see as they passed through the sea and perhaps preventing the Egyptians from seeing the sea as they followed after them. Do take note here, when we trust in God, one thing we can be assured of is that the power of God will protect us from the adversary. He will put a shield between us and the adversary. Here, the angel of the Lord, the power of God, the revelation of God, came in the form of the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire. So it is. The presence of God will protect us. Moses did as he was instructed, stretching forth his hand over the sea. This brought about, what did we read? A strong east wind, which drove back the sea all night long, even turning the seabed to dry ground. This was, no doubt, to facilitate the need of the Israelites to quickly pass through the sea with their goods, which were likely loaded on wagons or, or carts or the, or the sort. It must have taken a certain amount of faith on the part of the Israelites to enter into the sea. They, unlike the Egyptians, had the benefit of the light provided by the cloud, the fire. Thus, they were able to clearly see the water of the sea piled up like walls on both sides of them. What faith the Israelites lacked maybe was compensated for by the fact that the Egyptians were right behind them. So when confronted with the choice between the sea and the Egyptians, the sea would have to have been the less dangerous choice, right? So no doubt there was some faithfulness there, but a little human prodding as well. You know, verse 17 is interesting. There we read, As God said to Moses, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them, and I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. This continued hard-heartedness is what but the failure to see the power of God working, working on behalf of his chosen people. And that in this case, on both sides of them, in these walls of water, there was nowhere to go. We continue. In the morning watch, which if you're to go into the commentaries, they note is known to be from 2 a.m. till dawn. 
God looked down from the pillar of fire. And as he did in verse 24, he brought confusion to the Egyptian troops. This was brought about by causing the wheels of their, of their chariots either to fall off or to swerve or, or maybe to sink into the sands, which now, of course, are wet. Here, one might think of Psalm 77, verses 16 to 19. The waters saw you, O God, the waters saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water, the skies resounded with thunder, your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind, your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked, your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. What's really interesting about this is that according to the text, we do not know that the Egyptians knew they were crossing the Red Sea, for it was very dark, right? Can you imagine the horror of the chariot tears when the first bolt of lightning revealed the seas towering above them on, on both sides of them? At this point, no doubt, the Egyptians recognized that God was fighting for the Israelites and against them. And as we read the text, we know they sought to retreat returning to the shore from which they had entered the sea. Instead, they plunged headlong into the waters as they returned to their place. At daybreak, God instructed Moses to once again lift his staff over the sea, but this time to bring the waters of the Red Sea thundering down upon the Egyptians. The sea closed in on the Egyptians, so that every one of them was drowned. In marked contrast from verse 28 to verse 29, we we find that the Israelites passed through the Red Sea on dry ground, safely reaching the other side. The Red Sea thus became the instrument of Israel's deliverance and the Egyptians' destruction. The Israelites were witness to the power of God and came to a deeper appreciation of Moses as the great chieftain, the great mediator, the great leader God had appointed and through whom God's power was manifested in a mighty, mighty way. And amen to that. There is a reason why we know Moses is not only the most humble man on earth, but also the great mediator between God and man. All right, all that being said, while there are many lessons to be had from the crossing of the Red Sea, there are five in principle that I think it would be good to touch upon. First, when God takes us the long way, he may have in mind the salvation of others. Second, God planned to show his people his might one more time through the parting of the Red Sea and the destruction of Pharaoh and his army. This would forever settle in their minds that they were rid of their Egyptian taskmasters, never again Never again would they be capable of dragging the Israelites back into slavery. Now the Israelites were free to worship and serve their deliverer. And could we not say that God sometimes brings us through Red Sea experiences so that we will have a deep and lasting revelation of just how free we are in the Messiah, in God? What do we read in John chapter 8, verse 32? Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Sometimes, my friends, God allows the more difficult path 
so that when we arrive on the other side, we may exclaim with ever more vigor, we are free. Hmm? Point number three, God wanted his children to know there is no turning back. With the Red Sea now sealing off the Israelites' route back to Egypt, they understood that the food and delicacies that, were, that they were so fond of as slaves, well, were now a distant memory. We read in the book of Numbers, chapter 11, verse 5, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melon, leeks, onions, and garlic. Oh, the tyranny of memories, my friends. In the dry place between bondage and the land of milk and honey, the Israelites would be tempted, no doubt, to grumble about their present circumstances and see their past through rose-colored glasses, maybe misremembering and idealizing their enslavement. They desperately needed to have an encounter with God at Mount Sinai, where they would receive instructions for a new way of life on how to follow God through his written statutes and appointed leaders. When believers, my friends, are brought into a place of new life in the Messiah, but are not yet living as a new creation, we need to learn to depend on the Lord daily and resist that temptation to fondly reminisce about former lives lived in sin. So often, the nostalgia that we long for is filled with sin. God sometimes brings us through Red Sea experiences so that we will not turn back to our lives enslaved to the forces of the world. Amen? Point number four. God took the Israelites on a long way because, well, he clearly had great plans for them, right? He had plans to transform them into a holy nation by giving them his word in the form of the tablets of the Ten Commandments written by his own hand. He planned to create a civil, and more importantly, spiritual society by giving them the Torah or five books of Moses, which he would dictate to his prophet. He not only took them out of slavery into freedom, he recreated a people who were, in every sense, my friends, free. They were transformed from cowering fearfully before the Red Sea to courageously fighting to take possession of the Promised Land. In the wilderness, the people of Israel would no doubt have an opportunity to meditate, to study, and encounter God's word in ways they could not on the short way fraught with continual battles. In our own wilderness experiences, away from the distractions and noise of, of the shorter way, we often are more attentive to the voice of the Lord. It is in this place that we have an opportunity to prepare for real transformation, real beginnings. Lastly, number five, and there's so many other things to talk about here, but for this evening, we, we have settled on five. God wanted to demonstrate to the Israelites that he could sustain them even in the wilderness. Huh? Even in the wilderness. He miraculously supplied this massive, massive nation with water from a rock, manna from heaven, and even meat in the form of flocks of birds, right? God also wants us to radically rely on him so that he will supernaturally demonstrate to us that he is our provider 
even in the toughest of times, the whole of the nation of Israel really is the Anawim of God. The Anawim of God. The poor ones. Those who are bent over. That disposition of being dependent upon another. This, my friends, is a good thing. Anything that, that brings us to our knees is a great, great mercy. I know we grumble. We sit here and we think about the history of the Israelite nation. Right? And we say, how could they forget what the good Lord had done for them? Why were they grumbling so often? Brothers and sisters, what is true in the history of Israel is true in the history of the church up unto today. And that includes you and me. And so we have to challenge ourselves. And in this specific moment, ask the question, okay, how have I grumbled? How do I need to raise up my arms like Jesus himself raised his arms, stretched out his arms to God the Father, in doing so becoming the Anawim of God, the poor one of God, mindful of the mathematics of God that where there is poverty, there is riches. Where there is less, there is more. Where there is subtraction, there is addition. Because where there is death, there is life. The Israelite nation saw life because in the end, they were brought to their knees once again. And they were so because of God's infinite, infinite mercy. Amen. Amen. All right, let us close with a word of prayer. All glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And God bless you.